Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met right after college. Yeah, in our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then it did. And we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and provide some knowledge to other average parents. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have. (laughs) So welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and take a look. Apparently, vaping is now an epidemic. Yes. Especially among young people. And the medical community does not know exactly what to do about it. We we talked about vaping in season one. Yep. But a lot has changed since then. Uh, The Centers for Disease Control just released new numbers about the multi-state outbreak of lung disease. Um, There are 380 cases of lung illness. Wow. Yep, reported from 36 states and one U.S. territory. And as of this recording, seven people have died from it's vaping-related illnesses. Seven. It's up to seven now? Yep. Wow. We, um, we've we talked about Juul, and it's the biggest brand in e-cigarettes. And court documents in North Carolina, in a North Carolina case against Juul, reported e-cigarette use between 2017 and 2018 increased by 78% amongst high school students. 78% in one year. Yes. Yeah. And I heard a stat yesterday that um, one in four high school students is now vaping. Wow. Yeah. So um, Juul's share of the e-cigarette market has gone from 24% to 75%. So Juul is really right up there. Um, And it's a brand name that's so well known, it's become a verb. Yeah, that's what everyone, they're like, I don't vape, I Juul. Yeah. (laughs) There was a story about a doctor who was like, do you vape? And the the kid in the room was like, no. He said, you you do not smoke e-cigarettes? No. Do you Juul? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I Juul. So, yeah. Um, According to the lawyers in the North Carolina case, Juul deliberately designed the flavors and even the look to appeal to the younger audiences and has chosen social media platforms and marketing campaigns that are known to attract minors. So it's it's intentional. Yeah, and the the packaging looks like candy. The advertisements use models who look like teenagers. So the industry is reacting, or the government is reacting. In the the past few days, we've seen calls for banning the flavored e-cigarettes. And so in Michigan and New York, Chicago, even President Trump, I guess the belief is the flavors are a way to lure young people um, and get them started, and then then they'll be addicted. Blueberry, bubblegum, like, like what are the fancy flavors? Pop rocks and creme brulee. Remember we t- last year when we talked about this, Sour Patch Kids, you know, it's it's to get, it's to attract people who wouldn't necessarily be attracted. Yes, my daughter was at uh, a sporting event and said, I smelled something and it smelled fruity. And then everyone's like, ah. <laughs> oh, so she didn't, she didn't, she's like, what's that smell? And, and that's it was what vaping? It, yes. Oh, God. 
So Dr. Milan Han is a professor of internal medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine in the University of Michigan Health System. She's also the director of the Michigan Airways Program and a national spokesperson for the American Lung Association. Thanks for joining us, doctor. Thanks for having me. So let's... Let's start from the basics, okay, because I'm a rookie. I've never done it. I've never seen it, like, in my hand. How does vaping work, and what are the risks associated with it? So, essentially, whether we're talking about electronic cigarettes that at least look a little bit more like conventional cigarettes, or whether we're talking about the Juul product, which, if you've seen it, actually looks almost like a thumb drive uh, mm-hmm. in, it, in its shape. Um, there are a couple of basic components. Essentially, there's a replaceable cartridge uh, that contains the vaping material, nicotine, flavorings, as we've been discussing. And then there's another chamber uh, that's got a vaporizer, something to heat it up to turn it into, into vapor. And then there's usually a battery compartment. So uh, that's sort of the, the, the basic setup of, of these devices, even though some of them look a little bit different. And what are the risks about, you know, we uh, when we talked about this last year, we talked about, you know, everyone knows about smoking and you're getting tar and you're getting nicotine and you're getting chemicals. What are you getting with vaping and what are the risks? So <laughs> this is unfortunately, I think, one of the things that's really not come out. And I actually place some of the blame on the FDA and I think their silence on this issue has been interpreted as a general public equals safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, that is clearly not the case. So interestingly, one jewel pod contains more nicotine than an entire pack of cigarettes. Oh. One cartridge? One, one cartridge. Wow. Um, and then on top of that, there's all this other stuff they don't talk about, like propylene glycol, heavy metals, uh, diethylene glycol, uh, cadmium, benzene, other other things. I mean, when you think about combustion, uh, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that happens when you vaporize this material, and um, and they have to put the nicotine into into something. So when we think about risks, we certainly have we know nicotine itself is addictive. Um, but when we think about the traditional cigarettes, we have a lot of data over many, many years to know what the long-term consequences are. So we know that uh, patients or individuals that smoke get are increased risk for heart disease, for lung cancer, for emphysema. Uh, and, and I think this is something the general public is aware of. Unfortunately, uh, the uh, uh, e-cigarettes uh, are so new that we just don't have a lot of long-term data upon which to, to, to base safety claims. So there are certainly a lot of carcinogens in the acetaldehyde and formaldehyde families that are in vaping products. And so um, we need more data, more long-term data. But I think the potential for some of the same harms that we see with cigarettes is still there. We just don't have enough data to prove it. But if you think about the lungs themselves, they were not designed to do anything other than breathe clean air. (laughs) Now, they do filter a certain extent. If you were to cut open a lung, which I've done of a patient that's uh, smoked, you'll, get, you'll find all sorts of tar and stuff that, it's, that the body is trapped and, and prevented it from getting to the rest of the body. So that's good. But there's only so much that the lungs can take. And there are actually known um, 
lung diseases for all whole sorts of different uh, uh, people that work in different work environments that are that are exposed to different kinds of vapors and fumes from, say, a production factory or from a construction site. Um, inhaling lipids, for instance, um, fatty substances is known to, to cause a very specific type of pneumonia. So um, while the data is lacking, I can certainly come up with a lot of things uh, that are in uh, e-cigarettes that would lead me to concern. And then the new outbreak that we have, this epidemic of, of lung disease that we believe is directly related to e-cigarettes, I think uh, further enforces our concerns around safety. So the reports of the vaping-related illnesses, this outbreak we're talking about, um, they span the country, but they're not all the same. And many of the patients were vaping THC, which is the uh, common, the compound in marijuana that makes people high. Um, and I know you can't speculate about what's causing the outbreak, but can you tell us if the standard e-cigarette is just as dangerous as one with THC? Well, the THC molecule itself is not known to have lung-specific risks. Um, certainly, there are other things, you know, other effects that are, are I think, well-described. But the problem is that none of this is regulated. So who knows what they're dissolving the THC in. And um, at least with the Juul product, and I'm not arguing for its safety, but it's, you know, a large corporation that probably has a certain amount of of at least quality standards, yeah, quality control in place. Yeah, um, the THC related products are um, are going to be from much smaller manufacturers, and so it, uh, you know it, it's not so much. I have to admit, it's not so much the THC compound that concerns me with respect to to. It's just all the other things that you don't know are in in those in the you know, potentially in the in the devices that are being used to deliver it. So. Um, and I just, we just don't know enough. Not all of the cases um, have been linked to concurrent THC vaping. So I don't think you can say to someone or if there's a parent out there listening and, how, you know, I know we all want to protect our children. I don't think you can tell people, well, as long as you avoid THC products, you're safe. Right. I, I just don't think that's the case right now. What are some of the symptoms of the vaping-related illnesses? What, do you, what should we do if, if, you're, if you suspect your kid has one of these related illnesses. Right. So I have to admit, I've not personally seen a case, although we, we do have one confirmed case in where I live, which is Washtenaw County in Michigan. Um, but from what I've um, seen, it, it appears to be consistent with uh, an acute lung injury, so a non-infectious pneumonia. So you're going to have a lot of the same symptoms, um, shortness of breath, cough, in some cases, maybe a fever, um, you know, and then when these patients are being brought in, there's, you know, infiltrates in the lung that we can see on chest x-ray, and they have a hard time uh, maintaining their oxygen levels and in some cases end up have ended up on ventilators and, and as you had mentioned, have died. Um, so I think if you have a teenager or a young person or a friend that is experiencing any type of, of new respiratory symptoms and, you know, they, they really need to go and just get checked out by their physician, um, stop vaping and get checked out by the physician because it, at, at this point, uh, it, it, without, you know, further medical evaluation, it, it would be difficult for a non-medical person to know for sure. To know, okay. So you mentioned infiltrates in the lungs, and I read somewhere that the problem could be the oil used to vaporize the nicotine. I've um, heard this too. So what types of oils are used and why are they dangerous? And then you know, I read something about vitamin E being one of them. 
So um, vitamin E is sort of interesting because, you know, you can buy it at the drugstore, right? I've taken vitamin E supplements. I've rubbed it on my skin. Um, And so in general, you know, there's a lot of oils that would probably fit into that category. But the problem is, is that the lungs were not designed to be inhaling oil. Mm. And um, and it's been uh, you know lipoid pneumonia, lip, a lipid-based pneumonia is is something that's been previously described for people that have had accidental exposures to inhaling oils. Hmm. So um, what I would say is that almost any oil, regardless of the fa- of whether it may be non-toxic, again if rubbed on the skin or used in you know lotions or or even ingested, um, may have a very different reaction uh, within the lung. We just were not designed to be inhaling oil (laughs) you know we've uh, you know uh, evolved over or whether you you ascribe to evolution or whether you ascribe to creation uh, we were not either evolved or or designed to be inhaling oil okay what what about the flavors are they more dangerous than the non-flavored cigarettes e-cigarettes or is that just the the problem that it's just a way to lure lure the kids to think it's cool So I am not aware that any of the flavored additives themselves are toxic or dangerous, again, beyond the fact that I mentioned none of this really should be going into your lungs. (laughs) Um, But I I think the concern from the medical community's perspective is that exactly what you said, that these are being used to you know, lure kids. I mean, if you look at some of the packaging, you can't even tell what it is. Like, is this juice? Is this gum? Is this candy? I mean, this, many of these just look like food items. That's what we, we did uh, a year ago. We talked about this right right before it really became like a big national story. And I just don't understand. Like, I grew up, you know, people smoked cigarettes at my grandpa and grandma and everyone. And my mom did. And then then there was this anti-smoking. And then, you know, most public places like laws were passed that you can't smoke in restaurants and so on. And like, generally speaking, my kids are like, smoking's bad. It's bad for you. What what the hell is what happened here? I don't understand. Like, is it because of these blueberry flavors that kids are like, oh, it's not it's not really a cigarette. Like what? Is it a branding thing? Do we just all drink the Kool-Aid? And, 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 all- and it looks like Kool-Aid. <laughs> like, well, I think it's twofold. It's one, direct marketing to kids. And two, with cigarettes, we had stronger protections in place against getting these, allowing these into the hands of minors. Um, again, the FDA has failed to regulate. And so I think the absence of any consistent messages has resulted in an assumption of safety on the part of the public. Um, and I think that's that's the real problem, um, and to a certain extent, long, lack of long-term data on um, you know we, we as physicians can hypothesize that after ten years your lungs may have severe damage, but we just don't have enough long-term data to you know have been able to to back you know, it. Go, go around it and, and back it. But having said that, with the current um, out, with the current outbreak, I think. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, we're getting some of that safety data that we need to go to the public and, and explain how, how concerning it is. But I will tell you, it's tough. So one thing that's interesting and, and may interest your listeners to know is that when, um, you know, very early on, the American Lung Association and the American Thoracic Society in the U.S. came out very strong um, with concerns, you know, uh, about um, 
about vaping. And the British Thoracic Society actually decided to take a slightly different take on the subject. And uh, we're focusing more instead about how, you know, it might be beneficial to help people um, quit smoking. So I think with the current crisis, they're potentially um, rethinking um, uh, that statement. But there really is not, you know, in case, you know, and that was, I think, really one of the ways that this has really been marketed uh, is that, oh, you know, you can use this to quit traditional cigarettes. It's safer than traditional cigarettes. But, you know, only roughly only about 10% of smokers who have used e-cigarettes have been able um, to quit um, uh, compared to roughly 27% of people who've been trying to quit who did not use e-cigarettes. So the data, and, and and we had talked about the fact that the, you know, the nicotine in one is about the nicotine in the entire pack. So, I mean, just imagine we're, we're in some ways creating higher addictive potential than That's, less. Yeah, because you hear stories about like the kids are going through pods a day. That That's a pack of smokes a day. Yeah. It's, it's, it's scary. It's very scary. Well, speaking of sort of how kids or people in general are consuming, um, a report on CNN said part of the problem is um, the way people approach the vaping devices. So can you explain what a, a puff flow rate is? Is that, is that? Okay, I have to admit that when I saw this, I laughed a little bit. And <gasps> the reason is that we as physicians, as a pulmonologist, I prescribe a lot of medications that are inhaled. And um, those are for, you know, patients with asthma or chronic destructive pulmonary disease. We give them medications to help open up the airways. And a lot goes into creating those devices. And so we will measure peak uh, inspiratory flow rates on patients, how quickly they're breathing air in. And we have training devices uh, that we will give those patients to make sure they're breathing things in at the right rate for that particular drug. Because we want to make sure it gets deposited, not in the back of the throat. We want to make sure it gets down into the lungs. So when I saw this, I thought I was thinking about there's so much variability uh, in, in, you know, in patients. And it is true that how quickly you breathe something in and, and probably also how the device is manufactured will um, impact where, uh, just, you know, if you look at it, it kind of fluid dynamics in the lungs, it will impact where the majority of the inhaled particles end up depositing. Uh, so uh, it was slightly amusing to me to think about something that a, a concept that many pulmonologists are quite familiar with, but think about really with respect to drug delivery is a concept that now is being transferred to vaping. Uh, where, but yes, it is true that how quickly, so that's what they're referring to with the flow rate, but how quickly they're bringing in that puff in will impact where the particles are deposited. And it's possible that, um, you know, based on either the way the device is made or the way it's flavored, that, and also, in, you know, differences between individuals, that you may vape one product a little bit differently than another product, which would result in um, harmful chemicals being deposited at various points of long. And potentially, I mean, it's just speculation, I think, at this point, but potentially could uh, you know, impact some of the harms that, you know, or potentially have influenced the fact that we're now seeing harms. And, and the other thing that I was thinking about, and it was mentioned in this article, was that, um, you know, it used to be that people would go outside and take a smoke break, and it was mm-hmm. two or three yeah. minutes long, and then they'd right. go back up to their job, and they'd sit there for a few hours, and they'd go back down, you know, and I remember people standing outside the Tribune Tower yes. and, like, when it was freezing out. But now, if you're surreptitious, you could have this in your pocket and you could be vaping all day, not having those quiet little smoke breaks, right? 
Yeah, I was actually uh, at a ski resort this winter and going up the lift, and you know how you get on with whoever happens to be in line. And I was just shocked because they were vaping in between runs. Ugh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, and, you know, you kind of think about getting outside, trying to be in the fresh air, you know, and uh, I, I just, I just, but yeah, it's convenient. You can even smoke, you can even vape, uh, you know, on the chairlift. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it absolutely is concerning. And I don't think we have enough data, for instance, on, on um, you know, for people that are vaping, how many, you know, how many devices they're going through. But with the information that I shared earlier about just how much nicotine is one, I mean, just think about how much nicotine that is mm-hmm. for one individual. It's, it, it's frightening. And I think it really underscores the very high addictive potential. I think you mentioned earlier uh, in the call that, uh, you know, I think there's this new report that 27.5% of high school students use e-cigarettes. Yeah. Oh, crazy. So we're a parenting podcast, and we have teenagers now. Uh, and what would you suggest to prevent our kids from, from vaping? Like, you know, I could tell my kids, tell their balloon face, don't do it, don't do it. But it's like, you hear no a lot in the house. <laughs> Anyway, like, no, no. Can I do this? No. So what, how can we really pack a punch? Because sometimes you just hear no so much and it just glosses, it just, it's like one more thing you say. Like, how can we really make an impact and get our kids to realize that we are not kidding around? Like, this is the real problem. Well, and I want to add a side note to that. Um, I read about a doctor who's trying to reach Gen Z uh, and she's going on TikTok. Trace, you've seen t- TikTok, right? I've heard of it. I don't have it, though. I know. Of course you don't. <laughs> um, it's the former Musical.ly, and it's, it's an app where um, kids used to make music videos. Um, well, this doctor, her name is Dr. Rosemarie Leslie, uh, she's, she, on TikTok, they have hashtags just like Twitter, and the hashtag Vape Tricks has more than 175 million views, and it's teenagers posting the way they vape. And so, what yes. people watch just to see how they can, yes, what they, their they rings smoke, look like. Yes, exactly. So, who doc- cares? Dr. Leslie, uh, she is uh, out of Minnesota and she's been posting videos about the harmful effects of vaping. Uh, her followers have increased by 90,000 uh, in the past couple weeks. Um, and she's she showed an x ray of what a damaged lung looks like in one of her videos. Is that how we need to get the message home? Well, you know, it's. It's funny, I was thinking about um, when I was, a, uh, I guess I was a medical student, and we used to go, I used to go um, and uh, go into classrooms, and we would have, um, uh, you know, these kind of dummy lungs, and I, I remember going and package, uh, purchasing, I think, my only package of cigarettes ever <laughs> uh, to, to plug into this little device that you kind of puff the, the air into, and, and, and you know, it, and it kind of, you know, all of a sudden your little cotton ball in there goes black. And, oh, yeah. Um, and so I think some of those, those techniques can be uh, in, incredibly powerful, and again, I think part of it is just that we, we haven't been having these conversations with our kids, right? So one thing I would point people to is the American Lung Association has a conversation talking guide um, about how to talk to your kids um, about vaping. Oh, good. Um, and so that is, it's on lung.org. It's a great um, resource, I think, for parents so that they can be um, quite, you know, literal in, in helping them to understand um, uh uh, you know the, the the dangers associated with it, uh, and um, 
Uh, and also, there, if it, your kids already are vaping, there are resources there um, about um, cessation apps, for instance, that have been designed for kids. <laughs> Can you believe it? Uh, wait, cessation apps for kids? Yes. Oh, my God. That's so sad. Yes, I know. The fact that this exists to a certain extent, to me, is just gut-wrenching. Um, but there are resources available that are specifically targeted for for children. But I think, so that's that's one thing. What, what you know, I'm, think, I'm also a parent. My son is six, and I, you know, and I have already showed him the pictures I have on my phone of lungs, because that's part of my research, mm-hmm. um, you know, of, of lungs that have been um, uh, damaged by, by chronic um, uh, nicotine exposure. However, I think it's really important to also think about what we as parents can do um, in our communities uh, to try to just prevent kids from getting access to tobacco. So um, one of the things that the American Lung Association and other organizations have been supporting is just increasing the federal age of tobacco sales to 21. Mm. Um, you know, if you think about it, if it's at 18, that means probably you've got some 17 and 16-year-olds slipping in there, and then they're going to be slipping those to the, the 14 and 15-year-olds that they know. And it's just this kind of trickle-down effect. So the higher up we can go, I think, with restricting access, it will help. Um, I think we've got to get we've got to get the FDA to act. Um, we need to, to, you know, work on... Um, on trying to remove, uh, in particular, you know, illegal products, um, and and you know, and just kind of getting getting the word out, just like you are on your show. So, I think it's going to take it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a, a, you know, public health campaign. Um, I, the only only good thing I think that's come out of the uh, at this current epidemic is that at least it's becoming. Um, a conversation topic in homes yeah, uh, and parents can ha- have something that they can use to start having these conversations um, with kids. Cause I think we're all, we're all scared. Parents are scared. So I think the first thing is, you know, you just got to start these conversations and then, uh, and then, you know, see what you can do uh, in your, you know, within your community with respect to legislation. Well, and Dr. Han, uh, one thing we didn't sort of touch on uh, in this episode is that, it's very hard to tell if your kids are vaping, right? They, uh, a principal at a Chicago school said that she walked through the metal detectors holding 12 different devices and the metal detectors right didn't through. go off. Yeah. And that kids can vape in the classroom and blow down their shirts. Like what is there, is there a way that we can even, what should we look for? Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good question. Well, <sighs> And this is just uh, this is a little bit less professional opinion, a little bit more more just a, you know parental opinion and me mom to mom mom to mom exactly. But I think you know looking for changes in behaviors mm-hmm. um, because these devices are highly addictive. So um, your kids are potentially going to be more secretive, right? If mm-hmm. they don't want you to know they've got these devices, um, then they're going to hide them. They're going to have to slip away to do it. Um, so, um, that is one thing. Um, they're expensive, you, aren't they? You know, I have to admit, I don't actually, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either. I like you would think that they're going to need the money to go buy them. Go buy them. Yeah. So I'm going to look it up right now and see if I can figure that out. Um, oh yeah. So the starter, yeah, <laughs> yeah the starter kit for Jewel is a 50 bucks. So who has that money? <laughs> so... Um, and the and the you know the official pods are not cheap. Now if they're buying an off brand, that can be cheaper. But you know, I, that's a lot of babysitting money. <laughs> yes, it is a lot of babysitting money. You know, the sad part is that when 
the electronic cigarettes first came out, and I have a lot of smokers, adult smokers in my clinic, and, you know, that there was this sort of general perception that, oh, maybe this is safer. You know, the, well, sad and not really funny short of it was that most of my patients could not afford to switch to vaping. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Is there something to look for in terms of whether our kids are being exposed to nicotine? Do, do they get jittery? Do they get spacey? You know, yeah. Well, well that's I mean, if so, yeah, nic- so nicotine is a stimulant. Okay. Um, so you can certainly, yes, look for um, signs of, of jitteriness, hyperactivity. Now, if they're only vaping when you're not around, um, that's going to be, I think, a little bit harder more, to detect, more difficult. Now, nicotine is present in the urine. Oh. So it is something that, you know, that can be tested for. And, and um, you know, if parents want to have conversations with their kids and the pediatricians, um, obviously that's another route to go. And there's um, other, depending on the age of the child, uh, uh, that that could be more challenging. But, um, but, but it is, you know, and certainly for um, adults when we're doing certain kinds of drug testing for, you know, various things, it is, it is present in the urine. So... You kind of touched on this with the cessation apps and stuff, but let's say you you find out that your kid's doing it. I wouldn't know the first thing to do other than to immediately take it away, but they're just going to go like, do you go to your pediatrician? Do you go to the doctor? Like, I don't, I wouldn't know what to do other than just taking it away and saying, don't do it anymore. Well, one of the, so right, so one of the problems is that nicotine is highly addictive. So if your child is addicted um, then you probably do want to t- take the child into the doctor. If you, I mean, obviously, first you got to have an honest conversation with them. You got to, con- you know, but if you've gotten them to the point where they're convinced that they should stop, um, or they're not sure they should stop, certainly you can bring them, take them to their pediatrician. You can have um, that discussion with them and 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 see if the pediatrician can help. Um, but you would potentially also want the pediatrician's guidance on 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 how to quit. And there are nicotine replacement products that will ease the withdrawal. Um, Those include gums, um, patches, lozenges, sprays. There's actually even a Nicotrol um, inhaler. So there are some, you know, both prescription and non-prescription options. There's also a few um, medications, including bupropion and abrenicolin, um, which can, um, can help people quit. So, you know, if, you're, if your child is, is addicted and doesn't feel like they can just cold turkey quit, um, then, yes, I think it's absolutely worth taking them into the pediatrician, having that discussion, and getting some help in figuring out a, a cessation plan. So, Dr. Han, we try to ask as many questions as, as we can possibly think of, and then sometimes we think, maybe we missed something. Is there anything you'd want to add, uh, maybe a message for parents, because, yeah, you know, you are a, a parent and a doctor, um, something that we can just tell our audience? You know, I don't think you can start with the messaging too young. (laughs) So, um, you know, uh, if you've got really small children, like I've got a six-year-old, I've already started talking to them Mm -hmm. about this kind of thing. Because the problem is if you, you know, if you don't have the chance to talk to them and then they get exposed much earlier than you ever thought they would, you know, and then they start using it, it gets much, much harder. And and I think kids at a younger age tend to be a bit more receptive. Yeah. So um, so I think the message for people with the really young children is it's, you know, or even, you know, middle, it's never, well, it's never too late to start having those conversations and it's never too early. Well, you see people walking around 
you see, sorry, doctor, you see people okay. walking around on the sidewalk. So you could be walking with your, your six year old and, and, and use that as a, as yeah, a, absolutely. a way to, to broach this topic that's developmentally yeah, appropriate yeah. for them. Yeah, absolutely. Never too late, never too early. Awesome. I guess that would be my advice. Okay, thank you so much, Dr. Melan Han, Professor of Internal Medicine in the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine in the University of Michigan Health System, um, and also National Spokesperson for the American Lung Association. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. So apparently we need to really talk to our kids about vaping, and as she said, it's never too late, it's never too early. Um, maybe we get online and... Uh, Show them TikTok. <laughs> I I can't even believe that. That's crazy. But that's very smart of that doctor. Very smart. And I, you know, I think I will, I might show it to the kids. Remember la- when we were talking to John Duffy, Doctor Doctor Duffy, mm-hmm. and he was talking about he was talking to a fifteen year old, and he's like, "But they're really cool." Yes, like, that's what this is like a an uphill battle because these kids think they're just cool devices, right? And that's like the hook. And then they're then they are hooked. Then they are hooked. <laughs> Yeah. So it's about branding and packaging and how they, it just makes, it seems like a cool thing to carry around. And you got to like dispel that and make them not think that it's that cool. And I think uh, Dr. Han was right in that we need to involve the community. We need to, as parents, contact the FDA and say, you know, dude, you got to take away these, you know. I think there's momentum for this right now across the country because of all these new stories. So let's hope. We'd love to hear from you about your vaping stories or things that issues that came up in your family or any issues in your family at all. At all. Yeah. Uh, it gives us story ideas. Um, give us a call at 331-704-0046. Like us on Facebook and leave us a review on iTunes. Yes, please, please. <laughs> Tell the parents in your life to listen and suggest topics. That's right. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Tracy Weiner. And I'm Ann Johnsos. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look easy.